Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams. And I'm Joe Anderson. Joe, we've got an awesome episode this week. Um, joining us is Dan Anderson from Lifecycle Engineering. He manages Lifecycle Institute, which is the learning, leadership, and change management practice at Lifecycle Engineering. He joined LCE in 2007 as the Learning and Reliability Solutions Consultant. He holds a Bachelor's of Science and a Master's Degree in Business Administration from Citadel. In addition, Dan serves as Secretary of Society of Maintenance and Reliability Professionals, where he provides oversight direction to SMRP Foundation and the Executive Committee. Dan, welcome. Thank you very much, George. Glad to be here. Oh, it's so it's really cool to have you here. I, you know, in my past as a practitioner, I've used LCE and you guys always do a fantastic job with development of training content that is applicable out in the field. Um, talk to me about um, LCE training and, and kind of what's going on and what your offerings are. Yeah, certainly. Well, LCE has been around for 40 plus years. We started with an R&D project with the uh, Naval Nuclear Program, helping them to build asset management plans for the nuclear submarine fleet where there's little room for error. And, uh, you know, the Lifecycle Institute's been around for about, I don't know, 20 plus years uh, of that. They realized that, hey, you know, we really needed the, uh, the rigor uh, of the education coupled with our consulting services to support our clients. So uh, we've been around for a while. You can find us, you know, headquartered here in Charleston, but, you know, our offices are all around the country. Uh, mostly where the na naval nuclear hubs are at, our Navy hubs are at. So if you're looking, you know, at Norfolk, uh, San Diego, Bremerton, Honolulu, just to name a few. Well, I'll take two tickets to get some training in Honolulu, if you don't mind. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the the nicer places to go visit. Charleston's not so bad either. Yeah, it's an easy flight, much easier flight anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Dan, I, so just from my perspective, so in my past, right, I've, I've used LCE and delivered training and I, I've been teaching courses like planning and scheduling for a long time, even, even when we brought LCE in to do some training at my previous company, it, it sometimes it's not good to deliver it yourself, even if you have expertise in the arena and you teach it regularly you know, sometimes folks want to hear, you know, an external voice. And so we had you guys come in and, and develop training for planning and scheduling for FMEAs and, and some basic predictive overviews and really an overview of, of what reliability excellence is. And, and you guys knocked it out of the park. I mean, you know, I, in reviewing all that stuff, we didn't have to make any changes, just some maybe minor language changes for inside that company. But but you guys have a long history of delivering this content with with great expertise, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, George, I remember that. It was about seven years ago, I think in 2014, you know, we came in and supported you, like you had mentioned, with delivery and translation for English, Spanish, French, and Italian. I think it was we developed about 36 classes and delivered it in five countries, was it? You know, and it was a couple with, you know, the the instructor based along with the e-learning, but man, it was a great engagement. I remember documenting goals up front and development of uh, learning impact maps and then establishing a, a coaching program with you uh, so some of your internal folks could help to achieve those goals set prior to the training. 
Yeah, it, it really was, and and it, very successful, well received by individuals. It, it, you know, you you guys reached out to find folks that had local dialect. Like you went the extra mile. Like when you were delivering in those other countries, you didn't just find somebody that spoke the language, but somebody generally speaking from the same region, because even dialects are different. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if you uh, go deliver a class down in even the dialect from Mexico to Puerto Rico, we found you know in delivering some uh, some classes that are you know multilingual, um, the dialect is definitely different. So now let's kind of fast forward, Dan, to kind of where we're at today. So so several years later, and now the the landscape of traveling all over the world and delivering content's a little bit different. Uh, what's changed for 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 Life Cycle Institute? Well, I think you know our product line, especially with the pandemic and just the pull for folks, you know, on the other side of the world that can't afford to, you know, attend a training class. They're looking for uh, that virtual experience or that self-paced experience to where they can uh, take a class without having to hop on a plane, play those exorbitant uh, travel expenses. So uh, there is the need still for the classroom based. And I think that folks get a lot out of, you know, uh, attending a workshop and, and even the little discussions you have on breaks or going out for dinner and drinks at night and just talking that open line of communication on um, that human interaction is important to people. So, you know, we make sure that even with our virtual classes and our self-paced classes, our e-learning classes, that we keep them activity based. So there is that uh, interchange and that interaction between clients as and students as they're going through the workshop. How so? That's got to be pretty different, right? It used to be some physical exercises or examples, or more like a, you know, a, a collaborative interactivity. How's that? Has that been challenging to put together to keep that level of engagement versus in person? You know, at first, with the time frame that we were given back in March of last year, when everything just shut down and. You know, we had a bunch of students registered for courses, our open enrollment courses, even our on-site courses. And we had to think quickly, you know, how are we going to maintain that same quality that folks have grown to appreciate from the Life Cycle Institute classes, the instructor-led classes? How would we maintain that quality with virtual? And so, you know, we engaged our instructional design team, our facilitators. We turned our training coordinators into producers and really wanted to maintain the learning objectives, but keep the same quality education, the same type of interaction that we had in our workshop. So, you know, the, the path that we took, George, is that we abbreviated the classes, you know, got them down to six hours, um, delivered by the same facilitators, but we did not want them to be a lecture. And we did not want slides, just somebody going through a bunch of slides. We wanted them to be professionally facilitated workshops delivered virtually. So that was tough. You know, we had to identify what type of platform that we would deliver that on. We chose Zoom for its ease of use there. Um, and you had to integrate things, whereas before you might have, you know, a group get up on a flip chart and uh, share examples with each other through the activity based learning. This way, we had to have a, a platform that had 
breakout rooms to where they could break out. And Zoom was great for that, just for its ease of use. They had polls, they had Q&A sessions that you could run throughout the workshop. And then whiteboards. We utilized whiteboards uh, and broke students out within the virtual rooms versus getting them up on a flip chart. So what what was interesting in all that, Dan, from my perspective, was the whittling down of the content. What I think is interesting, and this is not a negative because we went through the same thing, is when you deliver a, a course over, you know, anywhere from two to four, you know, you can teach planning and scheduling in one hour or you can teach it in four days. And it's really about the level of detail that you get into and how many examples you go through that kind of dictate the the length of that course. And obviously the repetitive nature of it helps sink in the learning. But online, it's a little different because you start to lose people and they become disengaged. And so you got to create this balance between how much detail do you go into and what's the right level of content. So what we used to call fluff is kind of taken out of it. It's not really fluff, but you kind of remove that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You take out a lot of the things that you normally would have in there. Um, in exchange, let's say, you know, you maybe show a video, um, or have a game, a Jeopardy game. A Jeopardy game is a common game that we have woven throughout a lot of our workshops, uh, or a crossword puzzle. And, uh, you take those out, you know, replace them with videos, uh, content that's relevant to the learner. Right. It's, it's, it just creates a more interactivity. Yep. Okay. So. I want to transition a little bit to, you know, today's environment and trying to find people is really tough. And so I'm sure a lot of folks, and this was always a trend anyway, promoting to planner from inside your own network, but maybe some of the other roles like a reliability tech, you know, reliability engineer, a lube tech, or, or, you know, some other roles are that you may have gone outside for before seem to be more of a, well, how can we get people skilled up because we don't want to lose the resources we have and it's really hard to find resources right now. What are you seeing in in industry today right now? I'm seeing a lot of emphasis on certifications and we've actually had clients come to us during the pandemic that were experiencing high turnover and uh, really looking for ways to retain their employees and so uh, we actually had clients come to us and say, hey, you know, we noticed that Lifecycle Institute offers a number of certification programs. You know, we're partnered up with Clemson, Ohio State, Kansas and Washington State uh, in providing our reliability engineering certification, our planning and scheduling certification, uh, as well as our uh, maintenance management certification. And so each of those programs comes with multiple courses that they would send folks through, but then either take a test or provide a capstone project to show that they practically applied that knowledge in the workforce. Um, And that becomes very important to companies and important to the individuals because you're showing the company, I take my profession very seriously and I'm looking to develop myself. But then a lot of times they show a, an ultimate uh, return on investment back for their educational dollars, which is different from you know what we've seen in the past, George, where folks attend these universities. And I, I'm familiar when you used to teach up there at Wisconsin and uh, teach those classes up there. 
and you know they go through the program, but you really don't see what uh, what the results are obtained from the company. And I think that's becoming more and more important for uh, these organizations is to see, hey, I'm getting an ROI back for my educational dollars and sending these folks through this training. Yeah, no, no doubt. So, and I think that was one of the key factors for us when we engaged you in the past was, was really to get that, that application in alignment with, with the training as well. So in terms of, I guess, the, the gaps that exist in today's environment, right? I, you know, trade schools are really starving for students and, and folks going out into the field at the skills trades level, um, you know, that that's kind of now turned into a spoken wheel approach where they're reaching out to these places that to beg them for for students, right? And incoming employees. Mm-hmm. Do you find that at the next level up? Do you find that at the reliability engineer, at the planner, at at um, you know, people facilitating FMEAs? Oh yeah, oh yeah, certainly. And uh, you know, it's it's an interesting topic and one that you know I I was working on with SMRP as the outreach director is that skills and trades development. But even at a higher level, as you're inquiring about here, George, um, there is that need for advanced skills, especially when it comes to reliability engineering. I'm talking, I'm preaching to the choir here with with you and Joe, you know, and 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 understanding that. You know, you go, sometimes go into a plant and you say, hey, do you have reliability engineers in place? And many times they say, yeah, we've got REs in place. But as you peel the onion back, you find out that they're doing more manufacturing engineering type activities or maintenance engineering activities versus what a true RE is supposed to be doing out in the field. Um, same as applies with a with a very popular topic, and that's you know work management, planning and scheduling you know, making sure that those folks are, are thinking four to six weeks out in advance of the work that needs to take place, you know, versus getting caught up in the day-to-day activities or even strapping on a tool belt or, you know, uh, managing uh, the, the the work that needs to get done or expediting parts. You know, there's a lot of different things in our industry where, you know, uh, it's identified that, yeah, we've got this position or we like to call it that position, but really, when you look into it, they're not performing the true activities that a true RE or a true planner scheduler should be doing at that time. Yeah, I mean, that that's typically normal in, in the industry, right? Um, I think another issue that seems to be rearing its ugly head is the fact that uh, we're getting closer and closer to where a lot of people are going to be retiring off. Mm-hmm. And... It seems to me, um, from what I see, that there is no secession plan uh, in a lot of these organizations. Does that happen to be the case? Are you seeing that too, or is it different from your perspective? No, no. I think you know, with the you got to make it attractive. That's the thing, Joe. It, it just with uh, with the folks that are out there, with the baby boomers that are leaving the workforce. And uh, the new millennials coming in, they're learning differently. Um, the old classroom-based training uh, is, is, is sometimes not as effective with these newer folks that are coming in. And, and hence us, you know, building our self-paced e-learning as well, too, is because we realize with that new generation coming along, 
uh, the way that they learn is much different than the hands-on way that the baby boomers were were learning how to go out there and troubleshoot and plan and schedule and and be more proactive in the way that they handle uh, maintenance and reliability. Yeah, I mean it's I think it's a gap that you know we have to close soon because uh, there's going to be a lot of issues <laughs> within a lot of organizations soon. You have, you know, two, three, four hundred years of knowledge, uh, combined knowledge walking out of a facility. Um, how, how do you replace that? Right. And, and or at least try to close that gap. So if, if you were to give uh, some pointers to some organizations that are in the same situation, um, what would some of those things be to kind of prepare them for what's coming? No, that's a good question, Joe. I would. uh Definitely develop some training plans, you know, not only for your skilled workforce, but for some of your engineering workforce, your leaders, you know, everybody along those lines and partner with the community colleges. Uh, That's one thing that I do see as as pretty effective. You know, I'm here in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, A lot of incentives went to Boeing for uh, transferring their operations here to Charleston and meant much of those incentives were based around um, training, education and training. So mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a lot of that emphasis going on down here in, uh, in, in the low country, South Carolina, where uh, the big companies, the Boeings, the, you know, the um, the BMWs, the Michelins, the you know, CMC Steels, those types of organizations have that influence to where they can come and and really form a partnership with those universities and uh, the certifying bodies and institutions that are out there. That's one thing we're trying to do with SMRP is to partner with these technical colleges and make it more attractive to the younger workforce that's out there. Yeah, I think that's a humongous benefit, especially, you know, having SMRP back in the mob. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just think it'll really help a lot. And from a professional development standpoint, I guess when, when it comes to uh, professional development, let's say it's um, upper management, right? It seems that a lot of people are getting away from hiring from within and trying to outsource, right? And And they're looking for you know, a 20 year old kid with 30 years of knowledge and experience. (laughs) What are some of the things that we can do as a, a group to try to educate, you know, these employers on the fact that, you know, hiring from within, I think, I think there's a a balance, right? You need a little bit of, of both, both the degreed side and maybe just, you know, advancement from within opportunities. What do you think we could do there to try to help out the industry? No, that's a great question and a great point, too, because, you know, as you look around and you're right, Joe, within these organizations, a lot of times, you know, they'll pull up uh, maybe the best salespeople, you know, to to move into the executive C-suite. And those folks don't have the best understanding of maintenance and reliability uh, and, and how to implement it across the organization. So, you know that's um that's one of the things our roles as uh as external folks that you know are that outside set of eyes or that outside voices as George had pointed out earlier, um our role is to educate them on the financial impact 
that it can have within an organization. Um, one of the things that's very important to our model at Lifecycle Engineering is that reliability is not viewed of as just a maintenance initiative. It's a partnership between maintenance and operations, and it's driven from the top down. So it's yeah. very important with that executive sponsorship. You know, as you guys know, with ISO 55000, developing that policy and that SAMP, you know, from a high level, which gives the executives a clear line of sight on how they can impact, you know, the overall profitability of their company. Um, that's so important. I mean, before anything, before planning and scheduling, root cause analysis, you know, predictive maintenance, any of those things, before any of those things make a true impact, you know, there really has to be an understanding and executive support of the reliability programs within an organization. So, you know, one of the things that uh, when when we were partnered with George was he had asked us to put together a reliability overview for executives so we could come into specific sites and help them to understand the overall impact, along with all the best practices, all of the, the tactical stuff, what we call it. You know, it's more of the strategic stuff on how it's going to impact the business and save them money. There's two levels of things that people have to understand, and that is the strategic and, and the tactical, right? But the tactical is more done, you know, at the shop floor uh, where strategy is spent, developed over time, you know, at the upper levels. And from my experience, it seems that there's been a shift in a lot of the promotions and upper management from having a lot more of the engineers per se um, running companies to more of the salespeople running companies. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, in my opinion, I think some of that's tied to venture capitalism that took over in the 80s and stuff like that. But, um, you know, what are you seeing out there? No, no, I, I see that shift as well, too, that, you know, and, and I never really put thought about that, Joe, that, you know, venture capitalism might be contributing a lot to uh, that 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 paradigm or that that different type of shift in executive leadership. So, you know, it's just our job to go out there and and make them aware and uh, help folks to you know get the biggest bang for their buck when it comes to their investments, uh, whether they be capital projects or just you know investments in support of the reliability programs. Could be you know training, maybe additional consulting, things like that. So. With my history, you know, I've done a lot of call and plant turnarounds, basically kind of driven from maintenance as the center of excellence. But what I end up seeing a lot, and most of the places I worked after, you know, I left, sold to, you know, investment groups and stuff like that. <laughs> I guess the thing that shocked me about it all is I've, I've helped contribute to make you a profitable plant and something to model in all of your other plants. But instead of adopting that model, they end up selling that location because it's profit. It's more profitable. They get more money for it. Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of times they sell them to these, you know, investment companies that come around and they just want to flip it, get the, you know, the Abbott up and, and uh, they start cutting everything and, you know, trying to sell it for a profit and flipping these, these businesses. So it's just kind of crazy to me. Um, yeah. Reliability is never easy. That's for sure. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's cyclical, right? Like, like Joe, whether it's, whether it's cause they get rid of the site or not, leadership tends to change and direction tends to change. And if, if you're a leader coming in and you know, they're going to move you again in two years, you're just cutting things to make yourself look good. Not, yeah. not necessarily investing in things. And, you know, a key component to sustainability is that investment in reliability, which includes, which includes training and, mm-hmm. and which, what, which makes what Dan and, and, and Lifecycle Institute and Lifecycle Engineering doing so critical. Um, it, it's, the, it's the path to ensuring continued success. I agree a hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, the, and we haven't even gotten into the whole change management aspect of things. I mean, we're all familiar as, as good engineers, familiar with business process re-engineering, right? Uh, (laughs) Helping folks how to, you know, close out a work order quicker and more accountable and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, if the people aren't adopting to that people side of change, it makes it very, very difficult uh, to when you once you put all these additional processes in place. Um, but, uh, you know, that change management, the what's in it for them. And, you know, that gets all into our implementation model and how we go about doing it. I'm sure you guys follow a similar model where it's that transition of ownership where you're you know, uh, you're coaching them how to fish and they're taking ownership of those new processes versus, you know, just saying this is the way it should be done. And then you leave and it goes back to the way it was before. Yeah. And yeah, 100%. That's certainly the, the best method to ensure sustained results. I think some of the struggles that Joe and I have, you know, people will put these processes together in a vacuum you know, the reliability engineer or the maintenance manager and one other person sit in a room, they develop this, <clears throat> this new process and they, they just hand it to people, right? <laughs> like here, here's a new horse pill. Yeah. Here's your new vitamins. Go swallow this. Right? <laughs> no, no feedback on what's working, what's not working. So to engage an organization like LCE that can kind of help you through that change management process and understanding why it's critical to get feedback and include people in that creation process um, is, is the difference between success and failure. Exactly. Yeah. We, uh, we were chosen by ProSci, which is one of the global leaders in change management as their first authorized training provider uh, for their, uh, their educational service, just because we realized they had a structured toolkit that could uh, be used. We always knew that it was so important to have the change management acts, uh, uh, change management um, programs coupled with the business process reengineering. But you know, when we uh, when we chose ProSci, it really made it was a game changer. Awesome. Yeah, I, you know why reinvent the wheel, right? If you can partner with them and they have a clean approach and a toolkit, I think it's a great great approach. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Dan, we, we are just about out of time. Um, is anything going on with, with Lifecycle Institute? Anything you need to promote or places you're going to be, conferences you're attending this season? Well, we will be at the SMRP annual conference. We will be at the Reliable Plant Conference, and we have plans to attend the International Maintenance Conference. So uh, it's a busy fall that we have going on. Um Always, you know, we uh, we do have, and, and George, one of the things we had talked about was the Atlas 
uh, online system uh, for maintenance and reliability. Uh, it has all of our process flows, RACIs, e-learning, self-paced e-learning, all of that stuff uh, coupled into one package. So uh, I certainly, if, if there's, you know, some listeners out there that, you know, are, are struggling and spending a lot of time building these processes, we already have them ready made uh, through the Atlas Online Toolkit. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I'm always available and I appreciate the opportunity, guys, just to be here on the show and, and talk a little bit about our programs and what we do and and certainly uh, have a tremendous amount of respect for both of you guys out there in the reliability community. Yeah, same awesome. for you, well, thank Dan. you very much, Dan. That was sure. very kind of you to say. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on as our guest. All right. Thank you. All right. Awesome. For Practical Reliability, I'm George Williams. I'm Joe Anderson. Have a great day.